Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's Tech Talks, we are talking to Finn Clark from Waze. But before that, hi Jack. Afternoon, Dave. Uh, have you seen the sad news, breaking news, brought to you by Tech Talks? It won't be breaking, obviously, by Monday, because no. it's breaking on Friday, but hey-ho. Albert Finney's died. No. Yes. <laughs> I don't want to just... no, <laughs> break the medium of the podcast, but... <laughs> <laughs> you, you don't. You could have been like, "Oh yeah, who's famous for blah blah blah," and made me seem like I knew who he was. Look, anyway, let, rest in peace. Let me show you a picture. Cinema's original angry young man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Do you recognise him? No. Okay. Let's talk about someone else. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you don't know who Albert Finney is. I mean, I'm into my film and all the rest of it, but yeah, I don't, I don't me. Have you seen Big Fish? Oh. Okay. Is that the one with Ewan McGregor? Yeah. I haven't seen that. Is that is, is he in that then? He plays like Ewan McGregor at the end of his life. I mean, he's famous for a lot more than that, obviously. Um, so Christ. you've got him and Alec, what's his name? Alec McGuinness, who have both played Ewan McGregor in an older form. An older version of, yes, that's Obi-Wan very true. Obi-Wan and Big Fish. There you go. See, I might not know who he is, but I can make a tenuous link to well, look, Star Wars with it. Right, so given that was a complete non-starter, should we just skip to the interview? Yeah, might as well, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, Finn's talking to us about Waze. Um, you're probably familiar with Waze if you're a driver. Uh, yeah. It's um, kind of a hybrid, uh, crowdsourced sat-nav, but so much more than that. Safe in the city for cars. Y- yeah, why not? Yeah. Uh, Julian, I like that. Yeah. Um, but look, it's really interesting because actually their data is unlocking some really interesting uh, user cases. Yeah, yeah, massively eye so we're chatting with Finn. Uh, Finn, you are from Waze. What, what's your title at Waze, just to make sure we get this right? Um, I'm the UK country manager. Uh, what does UK country manager mean within context of Waze? So I lead the business and operations for Waze mm-hmm. in the UK. So it's a cross-functional role. Largely, I think of the role as three areas. Number one is the commercial, so the revenue part of the business. Uh, we make money from selling ads within the app. So we have a team here which focus on that. Um, secondly, we do a lot of partnerships, so data share partnerships with cities and the likes. So I have a key role in making sure that we are growing partners and keeping them happy. And lastly, we are on a mission to grow users of Waze in the UK, mm-hmm. and we do many initiatives to do that. So I'm partly responsible for helping grow the user base. It's probably worth starting there with the kind of the growth mm. of the user base because it lends itself into what exactly is Waze, yeah. right? Because it is. A step change from, I suppose, a traditional sat-nav in that it, it is user community and all your community-generated content, a lot of it, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it really is an example of an idea that's spread around, a wor- around the world. So our uh, founder, Ehud, in Israel, was, was given um, you know, a, a sat-nav computer for his car that he immediately worked out was completely out of date. And being a computer scientist, he sort of hacked into it and tried to update it and immediately got a letter from the company warning them to sort of cease and desist. Otherwise, he was going to, you know, they'll be after him. So he said, fine, do you know what? Um, I'll do it myself. And I got a bunch of his friends in Tel Aviv to start going out and building maps that were up to date. And not just building the maps, but then 
kind of sharing information around what roads were busy when and where. Mm. And this idea began to spread, you know, almost like the way that Wikipedia grew from people who cared and local people sharing information. It just grew and grew and grew. And we started to having big communities of Wazers, which is what we call people who use the app um, in places like Brazil and France and America. And today we have 110 million people around the world who use Waze every month, even though they know by and large where they're going. And this is a key thing. It's, it's, it's typically commuters going to and from work, but they use Waze because it's like a crystal ball for driving. Yes. And that's the thing. It's, it's like people trust it because it knows in real time what's happening because of lots of other people out there sharing that information and being really up to date. Where did you, I mean, it's interesting you say kind of Brazil and other countries. Mm. I mean, I would have imagined that large metropolitan areas, listening to what you're saying there, these mm. commuters are using it aware, aware you kind of really took off first. Was that the case? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if you look at some of the biggest cities around the world that mm. Waze is really popular in, lo and behold, they've got some of the worst traffic. So Sao Paulo, I think, is our number one metro in the world. We have 3.6 million monthly users. And a one-way commute in Sao Paulo can be about an hour and a half to two hours. Wow. So, you know, just think about that in terms of the time wasted. If we can shave time off that for millions of commuters every day, that's quite a big impact on people's lives. Uh, LA, another city where people are sort of, you need a car in LA, let's make no bones about it. Uh, and we have yeah up north of two to three million users there every month. So it's it, it's these cities where, you know, traffic's bad. People need help. Yep. Traffic is an amazing drag on the quality of life. We're trying to make it a little bit more bearable by keeping you out of the worst bits and and hopefully surprising and delighting you every now and then with an amazing new route or some sort of celebrity voice every now and then as well. Now the data that you collect must be fascinating, right? Because on the one hand, you can, you can solve the age-old question of, you know, are, are Italian drivers really the worst in the world? Uh, <laughs> but equally, I suppose, it's a case of, um, you know, if you're trying to get an ambulance to someone in a, in a, in a critical situation, mm. then you can have a look at the best route because it might not necessarily be as the crow flies, right? Exactly. I mean, it, amazing thing came out about five years ago when we met with the mayor of Rio. And it was the first time that we sort of realized that actually some of the information that we had could be really valuable to cities. Mm. And what started off as a pilot sort of, um, as I said, five years ago with 10 cities, now has over 800 cities. And we, and we call this um, our Connected Citizens Program. And this is the idea that we are sharing information in real time um, with our partners who are using that to make, you know, in their operation centers to plan in real time with things like which way should we be routing our ambulances to scenes of um, accidents? And some of the interesting things that, you know, we work with this company in America called Genesis Pulse, and they're a software company behind where they route ambulances. Yeah. And the, the amazing takeaway was that because Wazers report things on the app, so you can say, I'm stuck in traffic, or you can say, there's been an accident. What they noticed was, in general, Wazers were reporting accidents quicker than the 911 call was going in. Now, think about that for a second because... Well, suppose the person in the accident is possibly in a state of shock, whereas someone observing it from the side... Also, but yeah, there's also the thing around it's easier to report on Waze right. than it is to someone to go pull over and phone 911. And that you have this bystander effect where everyone thinks oh, someone else will make the call. 
So what they found was that if they began to see little accident reports coming through, they could say to their ambulance teams, mm. we suspect there is something happening over here. And if they were ambulance was free, they started to make their way over. And when they got the 911 call to say, yes, we need an ambulance, the ambulance was already halfway there. And they managed to shave about four minutes on average. This is the Boston area. But they managed to shave four minutes from the time it takes to get ambulances to site. Do you advise in those situations or do you leave it up to those agencies to, to interpret the data themselves? Kind of, you know, if five mm. or ten calls coming through that you begin to say, actually, this looks like it's something that, that, that could be, um, you know, verified quite, quite easily. Because the one thing that you have got with social media, obviously, is someone might mm. post something and it spreads... Yeah. And it gets reshared on social and all of a sudden yeah. you've got a situation where something's blown out of proportion that might not actually be happening. So do, do you kind of give some guidelines to people or not? So I think two parts to that. Firstly, the data on Waze is very accurate. I mean, right. we can we do verify in the app. Say if, there, if someone has reported an accident, um, you have to, other people can give it the thumbs up to agree there's been an accident. Um, we don't allow people who are very new to the app to make reports until they've driven for quite a while with us. Um, we don't, we're not in the habit of telling partners how they should do their operations. Mm. We're not experts in how to route ambulances, but what we are experts in is giving them API data anonymously and for free and telling them, you know, go away and look at how this can improve your own models. I mean, interestingly, closer to where we are today in London, Transport for London in their operations centre, what they found is that crowdsourced data actually is the early identifier for about 600 accidents on the TfL road network every month. Mm. And that is coming because, just like in America, people are reporting accidents quicker. Because the old way over here would be you'd phone 999, it would go to the police and then someone from the police would have to route it through to Transport for London's right. control centre. And they said, they said 10 to 12 minutes. And they've got a 90-minute respond, resolve, recover. And if you're losing 10, 12, 15 minutes to get the call, and yet you've got, now they've got in their control room ways data, which just pops up and they can go, oh, hold on, we see something happening over here on Old Kent Road. Point a CCTV camera at it. Yes, we've got an overturn lorry. Yes, we need to start responding. And you can see how just that information, you can't have CCTV everywhere. That is so useful to them. So they, the way they talk about it is like Waze is our early eyes and ears, early detection. Whilst we're talking about partnerships, yeah. it'd be interesting to see what your takeaways are or you know, if you've got any suggestions for other uh, tech companies kind of entering a, a particular space because we're talking there about TFL. I could imagine it might be in TFL's interests to start telling people oh, you should use Waze because it's giving them interesting data. But equally, there must there must be some commercial angles as well for the company to to use that in car experience to try and get their products in front of some of you, in some of your users. Yeah. So the way we work with partners, I mean, the likes of the Connected Citizens program, and we we do partnerships with broadcasters where mm -hmm. we we built official versions of ways for TV studios and radio stations so they can update their viewers. Um, we do all of these partnerships for free. And why we do that is because it is great distribution for us. And I'll tell you why. So for instance, Connected Citizens, it's not just us giving data one way. We do ask from partners that you share data back with us. Right. So an example would be 
all the roadworks information that are going on in cities. If you're a partner, we ask that you tell us so that we can make sure we don't send you down the bridge that's closed. Secondly, when you're doing major events, when you close 150 streets for the marathon over three days, when you and the Pope comes to visit, that actually all of these things are in ways ahead of time. And what that's doing is we're their distribution as well. So we're telling our users right when they need it, hey, this bridge is being closed for maintenance. You're going to need to find an alternative route. Mm. And they found that just by that getting the information out, it helps ease these pain points for events or major disruptions that are planned. So, you know, the way we think about it is we're trying to build an app that is really up to date. It's got the best information. And hopefully what we see is people share it and talk about it and rely on it and, you know, more people use it. But equally with our partnerships with the likes of the broadcasters, you know, all we ask is that, yeah, they just say, look, these are, this is Waze data on air that's powering this. So people hear about how it is these local people that are all working together. And when we see that, you know, more and more people do join the fight in ending traffic, really. I suppose there must be some very interesting leverage that you can use your data with regards to things like retail and, and cinemas and what time people get in their cars and go and do these things. You know, we all have an idea that maybe it's Saturday, Saturday afternoon, but, mm -hmm. you know, I suppose your data could in, infer that maybe shopping hours should be slightly changed in different countries or there are better days where you might think about doing X. Is, is, yeah. is that something that you've thought about? Well, absolutely. So, you know, one of the way that we make money at Waze is, as I said, we have an in-app advertising platform, which by and large what we're doing is putting ads on maps that show people businesses that right. are around them and helping them remember why they should go visit them. So the takeaway here is that, you know, an amazing stat that we got told is that at 4 p.m., every weekday in the UK, 60% of people in this country don't know what they're having for dinner that night. Right. Okay. So I can believe that. Actually. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> we don't plan ahead over here. in Britain. No. So, you know, what we see is we, we know that lots of people who use Waze in the evenings do stop off at supermarkets. We can see that, you know, there's this peak between five and 6 PM um, on a, on a weeknight. And we can see lots of our advertisers who are trying to get in there and influence that. So we've got people like Tesco who work with us. We've got people like Domino's who say, you don't bother cooking tonight, you deserve a pizza. So these are all brands which are sort of tying into that sort of contextual piece around, hey, we have an idea of what customer missions you're going on. We can try and influence you and whether that's influence you to come and make a stop at Marks and Spencer's tonight instead of another supermarket or whether at the weekend you know there's a great deal on and you're going to go and do your regular shop there. And, and that's what's quite measurable, measurable about it is that from the advertising side, okay, we, we're putting these ads in the map, but if you're using ways to travel to these businesses, we can show you over time that more people are arriving at your front door. Right. And ad advertisers respond well to that. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it, when, when someone signs up to Waze, do they put any information about the vehicle that they drive? Or? No, we really don't ask for any of that. We, I mean, we know that people do drop off the more information you ask. So yeah, we will only ever ask for vehicle information if there's a benefit we can give back to you. So an example would be, we are, I think, the only mapping GPS app in the world that supports mm. high occupancy vehicle lanes or you know, the carpool lanes in America. Now, there's many different local laws around if, when you can use these lanes. Yeah, yeah. And some states, they allow electric vehicles to drive in them. Yeah. So we have to, that is one example where we say, if you tell us you're driving an EV, we can actually show you the HOV routes 
and that might shave 20 to 25 minutes off your mm. ETA. So we, we're experimenting with this, but it's, it's very much a case of what's the value exchange. If we're going to ask you for a piece of information like that, we need to be giving you something back. Now, I was just wondering kind of along those lines, because uh, what I suppose you, you will know is how many people are downloading it on Android versus mm. iOS. And the, the old kind of thought, certainly from media, has been, you know, people with Apple devices tend to download more broadsheet kind of get, get, get mm. premium content on that regard, whereas people on Android tend to maybe have be on, on the mail or the sun and therefore they get pushed more apps around kind of gaming sites or gambling, mm. which, okay, you can think about the ethics there and whatever else, but I suppose... For you guys as well, you might get an understanding of the demographics of the people using the app and then have a look at their shopping habits or where they're driving to and try and begin to pick some patterns from that that would be interesting. I mean, we have got an amazing data set on traffic and, and where people go over time, but we don't use that to, to say, you know, say like you were a regular shopper at Tesco, we wouldn't, we wouldn't allow um, Morrison's, a rival supermarket, to say, I just want to target you because there's obviously yeah. lots of PII with that and we don't get involved with that. We're, we're looking at the big trends. When are people going to certain places? Can we influence? And some of the, I mean, I'll give you an example. We can target people by how long they've been in the car. Right. So, you know, long drives. That's amazing if you are, you know, in coffee or your Kit Kat, you know, take a break. So yeah. these, these are sort of nice things that, again, you know, I think what we say to people is, like, people are driving. You've got a few safe times you can interrupt them. If you're going to interrupt them, try mm. and make it helpful to the driving experience. And that's why we, get, we do a lot of work with fast food, with retail. We do a lot of work with fuel. If you're low on fuel and you see a Shell logo, that's helpful. So again, that's how we're trying to think about how we make money. If we move away from the, the commercial aspect very quickly, but stay on data, one last quick thing, I suppose from a, from a tech for good point of view, it's very cold. Are people mm. ignoring advice to stay off the roads in the UK, in the States? Well, yeah, I mean, we've had a ton of snow <laughs> today in, in the UK, and I'm looking forward to going back to, to sort of look at some of those stats. But what I can tell you is that, you know, last year we had a pretty severe storm that hit us called the beast from the east mm. and of course we're not very used to arctic weather here in the uk we're not good at it i mean what was interesting looking at the numbers was just how many people still had to get in their cars and go out yeah. and, and at that time there were people getting you know stranded on roads particularly in north and scotland and yet they'd still gone out in the car so we can begin to see how weather warnings actually impact people's behavior and actually last year we saw that it wasn't until people saw the news footage of people being stranded in their cars that actually people really dropped off. Right. So I think there's this sort of a psychological thing around, ah, it's not too bad just now, I'll chance it. Right. As opposed to... Interesting oh no. insight into psychology. Well, I think, yeah. <laughs> well, one last quick thing then. Look, you, you must have a huge... Uh, set of ideas with regards to where transport might um, evolve over the next mm. few years. If there was one thing that you could suggest as a prediction, looking at connected cars mm. or looking at um, car sharing or looking at automated um, vehicles, what, what, where, where do you think the most interesting thing is from your point of view that might be happening in the next two, three years? So, I mean, clearly transportation is sort of trillion dollar industry that is being pretty disrupted from all angles at the moment yeah. and I mean there's clearly sort of four major trends happening you've got autonomous vehicles you've got sort of connected cars you've got shared ownership models or new ownership models and you've got electric vehicles and they're all happening at once and I think what's interesting for us is you know first of all the average car in the UK is nine years old 
So that's like the equivalent of you driving a car with iOS 3, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, we work with many of the OEMs and the tech companies like Android Auto and Apple CarPlay. And what's interesting is that, you know, it's kind of like where the smartphone ecosystem was before Android and, and iOS. Right. It, it's, it's so fragmented. People are putting up a technology that is just so antiquated. So, you know, our view is that, you know, cars in the future are going to have loads of sensors. They're going to know loads of things that are going on around you. You're going to need to talk to the bridges. You're going to need to talk to other cars. All of these things will happen. Um, autonomy will come. How long it will take will depend on different markets, uh, you know, regulation. Our view is that things that can be changed in the short term are whether we can actually share resources. So it's like the stat in the UK that, you know, 17 year olds, when you were 17, you probably started doing driving lessons because it was your sense to freedom. Well, not, not me, to be fair. Okay. I, I still don't drive. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I, I'm an idiot and neither okay. does my co-host. Okay. So probably not the best podcast from that perspective, but many of our listeners do. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, the interesting thing is that 30% of people who are 17, 30% yeah. uh, less than 10 years ago are taking their driving test. Mm. So this is the thing, like people don't necessarily need a car, they need transportation. Yeah. And there's going to be so many new services come about where brands are offering transportation as a service. Our view in the moment is that we've got 110 million people who are around the world who are using Waze every month to commute. What if we could get some people to leave their cars and join in with other people? Yeah. Because that would actually have a big effect on our mission, which is to end traffic. So we've launched Waze Carpool in Israel, in America, in Brazil. And you know we're trying to get people to get out their own cars and share with other people. And we're learning loads by doing it. Um, it's very interesting to see how you're going to try and drive that behavior change. You know, you have to try and really convince people that, you know, it's quite difficult if you think about it, carpooling, in the sense that there's a lot of reasons why you might not do it in terms of, right, where am I picking this person up? Who am I picking up? Do I want to ride with this person? All these things. We want to take out all of that hassle. We want to make it easy for you to find people that you might have a Facebook friend in common or you work in the same place. And we want to make it all the difficult bit around the payment. I mean, it's, it's, you're sharing money on the fuel. And our takeaway is this. Wazers tend to want to do a little bit of good for the world, right. but they don't want to go way out their way. So if you can kind of incentivize them to make a little bit of money for a journey they were going on anyway, then actually that, you know, there's some merit in that. So that's where we're at at the moment. It's early days, but we're trying to get this, you know, these people that have joined our mission to kind of end traffic. The next stage of that is, well, can we share cars together? Yeah. And it's something that can be done today. It's not something that's like 10, 15, 20 years away. You see what I mean? Yes. Look, it's been really fascinating chat. Uh, some great insight. And uh, thanks for coming out on a rather cold morning and spending some time. An absolute pleasure. Thank you. So I love the fact that Sao Paulo's their biggest metropolitan Case. Every day's a school day, Dave. I didn't realise it was that hard to get across Sao Paulo. I naively just assumed that it would be really big in the States, really big in the UK, maybe big in, in Europe. Especially Italy, as you sort of alluded to there, you know. Well, no, famous. I mean, but I don't know what smartphone saturation is of countries like Brazil. Sure, yeah. No, right? Okay, yeah. I simply don't. Our Brazilian listeners might, they want to get in touch. Absolutely, but it was really interesting to... Um, 
to hear that Sao Paulo is the biggest metropolitan area that uses waste. Shows about the pr- proliferation of tech, right? You can tell this is a Friday show. <laughs> but no, you're right. I mean, I think the, the, it was the, the symbiotic nature of the crowdsourcing data and, and other stuff like that. Like he said, like we will only ask for information that we can use to benefit the end user, the customer. And it's the same in traffic, you know. It's, oh, I love, the more and more people we get on the show, the more and more I'm falling in love with crowdsourcing data and information. This is real-time data. Um, it's not touched upon in great detail uh, in the interview, but mm. when we were just chatting around the recording, okay, uh, he was talking about their use of celebrity voices. Yeah, well, no, he did, he did allude he to, yeah, 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 yeah. But, what voices do we know? No, so, so the really interesting thing was... Um, Obviously, they get data on whether or not people are driving to cinemas and stuff, yes. right? So if they do a, a promotion with Star Wars and they get like a Yoda catchphrase and it's synced up to the release of a new Star Wars film and then they can see the data of people who've downloaded the Yoda voice getting used to the quotes or whatever it is from a film and going, actually, I am going to go see that film... They can turn that back around to the studio and go, look, the celebrity voice drove people to the cinema, literally drove drove people to the cinema. Here's the data to prove that it works. Which I just, really interesting commercial uses of data. I mean, aside from the fantastic user cases around Amazon. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this, this reminds me of when we had Ben from Adblock Plus on. And he's talking about you know cookies and and, and um, targets to advertisement. This is a perfect example of advertisements helping your life, mm. benefiting you as you go. Finn didn't pull any punches when talking about how they make their money, and I will always respect that. But this is totally you know it's I didn't realise I must be in the minority because I'm one of the forty percent that plans their dinners out for the whole week. But if I'm walking home, I, 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 I have to say I am often not. Oh, are you, you, you? I do. I do a weekly shop, but yeah. we quite often just kind of fudge it as we go. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. We're Ross kind of halfway. Yeah, perhaps we do the dinner so that we have leftovers for lunch. So it's kind of like yeah, it's quite stringent in our house. But the fact that you can be going home and then oh, I want you pop Donuts, or I love to have a break, have a Kit Kat line, like almost writing their advert for them on that platform. Oh, it's amazing. One of the other things he talked about, right, um, that I, I thought was interesting, he talked about Wazers. Wazers, yeah. Right? Literally, there are people that devote their lives to this. Yeah. Like, hours and hours and hours and hours and hours spent correcting, updating. Yeah. And it's just amazing, isn't it, how it's a business. Mm-hmm. Huge commercial opportunity for Waze, mm-hmm. but because their community are so bought into it, they're kind of, you know, all of that research and whatever else is being done for them. It's just that, you said that they're a community. And, and Finn said it in, in the interview, you know, it's reminiscent of Wikipedia. People care about this product. No one likes sitting in traffic. Everyone is happy to knowledge share within this community. And it's only going to be beneficial for everybody. Mm. And I just love it. I, I think it's amazing. I think the fact that, you know, it's helping ambulances get get there smarter not just faster but smarter as well yeah um, yeah uh, you mentioned TAS you well it, I'm calling it TAS uh, transport as a service I really really like this idea that brands will just offer transport yeah. and that's his prediction like and that says to me like well so in the city we're going to have Toyota just doing their own Ubers doing their own cab service why not like why not that is a that is how you disrupt your, your own business to compete with the market I think that's Incredible, you know, ways of looking at doing it. My problem is being a Brit and being a bit of a classic Brit. 
I've never got an Uber pool. I don't want. I don't like that idea of yeah. sharing the cab with someone else, especially if it's after say ten o'clock and there's going to be booze involved. Mm. But you know, if it's a brand I trust more, because Uber is not the most trustworthy brand, maybe I would look to do it. Yeah, I. Hmm. There is that that slight kind of thing, isn't there, about sharing a car with someone that you don't know? Exactly, a carpool. Are they just going to chat to me, and I'm going to be like, really? Yeah. Or they're going to make small talk. Are you Dave Savage from Tech Talks? <laughs> <laughs> As if that would ever happen in the cab. You never I, think, I think they'd more likely mistake me for Jack Pierce. Oh, you, you, you're, talking about, <laughs> you're talking about the poll results. I wasn't going to mention it, Dave. <laughs> no, I, I think that there are some some fascinating insights like we joke around you mm. know how responsible are people when they get weather warnings the commercial yeah. opportunities the ability to help um, transport planning the ability to help um, the things like the health service and, and routing uh, to accidents um, it's fascinating really so many facets so fascinating so many facets lots of F's there multifaceted fascination yeah absolutely really 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 insightful um, uh, yeah and look, TFL are calling them their early eyes and early ears. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. It, it reminds me, whilst obviously a hell of a lot more complicated than the simplicity of what three words, but the flexibility of the application of the technology to do good, to be responsible, but also to eye a commercial angle. Yeah. It's fantastic. Well, it's, it, it's just that, isn't it? Ways and what three words both have that, those two sort of happy areas where they're going to make people's lives easier and save lives. But they can also get Make pizza points. there quicker and faster and more accurately. And yeah, profit with purpose. Well, T- Tessa from Olio, when yeah. she was on the show talking about profit with purpose, yeah. very much, you know, there shouldn't be shame in making money Not so. as long as you're the, the, the core purpose of your business is responsible and, and, and good. Exactly. And he says that, you know, we only do things that are beneficial for our end user. That's yeah. all they care about, which is brilliant. Finn, thanks for coming on the show. We'll go to a quick break. Uh, stick with us, though, because we've got a couple of articles. Um, and hopefully it'll be more successful than our Albert Finney chat. <laughs> Farewell, but not goodbye. Do you know what that is? Bobby Robson's autobiography. All the better, read by Bobby Robson. No way. Yeah. What a legend of the game he was. Exactly. It's a great book to read, but listening to Bobby Robson, talking you through his life, that's special. Exactly. My choice is uh, The Sisters Brothers which is a film starring Jake Gyllenhaal and John C. Reilly that has been released worldwide apart from in the UK. So, I'm going to listen to the audiobook. If anyone's wondering why we've suddenly started talking about books, it's because if you head over to audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, you can get a free month's trial there, courtesy of your favourite technology podcast. Get listening. Welcome back to the second part of Tech Talks. Uh, shall I go first? It's your turn, I think. I think it's your turn. Do we have turns? Are we that structured? No, I'm just I'm not giving you it. Don't worry okay. about it. <laughs> uh, okay, disability campaigners give emoji thumbs up to new emojis for 2019. Have you seen this? Nice. I haven't seen the list of new emojis yet. So no. you've now got guide dogs, prosthetics. That's yeah. that word again that I can't pronounce. Prosthetics. prosthetics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, accessibility emojis. Um, nice. Because obviously we increasingly use emojis. Up until this point, there was no representation um, for the for the number of people that are unfortunately disabled in various different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there was flaffles and sloths and all sorts. Um, all you've got is the the blue disabled logo on there emoji at the moment. 
But now you've got a whole range of um, emojis like hearing aids, wheelchairs, prosthetic limbs, guide dogs to help readdress underrepresentation of, digi- of, of disabled people. It's brilliant. I mean, we talk about inclusive language all the time. Yeah. Emojis count as that these days, you know. It is a form of communication. It is how we do speak to each other, you know, through these, you know, thousands of millions of years ago, it's hieroglyphs, now it's emojis. Yeah. And, and, and the article um, quotes uh, Phil Talbot, who's head of communications at disability equity charity Scope. Yeah. And he says, social media is hugely influential and it's great to see these new disability inclusive emojis. It is. It is really good. I mean, yeah, we all long for a more inclusive environment. This is, this is another step in the right direction. Absolutely. And... Um, you know, they also go on to talk about the fact that um, the inclusion of an emoji which can express what 800 million women around the world are experiencing every single month is a huge step towards normalising periods and smashing the stigma that surrounds them. And it's that idea, isn't it? Like you said, uh, um, inclusive language. Um, so that's 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 following a campaign by girls' rights charity to include a, th- a period-themed emoji, a new drop of blood icon, right? Mm. That might seem a bit... Oh, I can hear the gambling freaking out already. Yeah. yeah. Piers Morgan will be... Do you know of, what I mean? Yeah. But it's that, it is that kind of inclusion of all of these various different, let's say fringe, yeah. rightly or wrongly, yeah. uh, subjects in something like your emoji um, menu. Vocabulary. <laughs> yeah. That is going to normalise and make people go, there's nothing, there's nothing odd about this. There's, you know, there's nothing different about someone who has a disability absolutely totally they're on the emoji board getting, yeah exactly and yeah, just on the whole period thing you know as two blokes it, we're never going to fully understand that but you know there is always a taboo around that subject most insightful line you've ever come out with oh, I'm full of golden ones like that aren't I? Oh, yeah. but there, there, there is always a like you know you do hear we, we do wince the, the human race at the sound of like that phrase, you know, mm. it, it's a horrible, not horrible thing to happen to women, but you know, it's natural, but it happens. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, but it needs to be more socially acceptable, even though it is, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, when we talk about femtech and I talk about wild AI, yes, right? yes, yes, uh, which is helping women train, and I always kind of go, you know, alongside their natural cycles, yeah, and I should just say periods, yeah, yeah, why but not? For some reason, I don't, I go, yeah. you know, a woman's cycle, yeah, you just, yeah, mate. Natural look, cycle I, just sounds really weird. But I'd like to think of myself as fairly liberal and enlightened, yeah, but yeah. I still... You wouldn't call it a period? Yeah, I'm still a slightly regressed, idiotic man at times. Oh, we both are. Mm. Yeah, so that's that's two middle-class white guys talking about periods. There we go. Upper middle class, please. My dad was clergy. Uh, well, I'm actually lower middle class. <laughs> if I'm even that, my dad was a bricklayer and my mum had about eight different jobs, so... <laughs> so yes, anyway... No. I want to read this whole article out. It's not going to be news to you. but Listen, If you read an entire article, that's not going to make for the most engaging listen. I've got a couple of points to talk about. Basically, Jeff Bezos says National Enquirer is threatening to publish his news fo- nude photos, right? Uh-huh. Now, I'm all up for this happening. Like, why not? Let's, I mean, no, actually, I'm not. They're going to be very shiny photos. It's, it's funny and all the rest of it, but at the end of the day, this is still, to a certain degree, slut-shaming or, you know, revenge porn or... What I wanted to talk about is, A, chill out Bezos, the photos are only of a full-length body selfie of you wearing some boxes, and a naked selfie in the bathroom, but you've got a towel on, and there's just one dick pic in there. So get over yourself, mate. No one cares. My second point is, the way in which the National Enquirer's uh, parent company, American Media Inc. Incorporated, have got hold of these photos, and how they go about using this. It's the catch-and-kill method. 
They go full hog to get hold of nefarious items like nude photos of celebrities. They retain it all and then they threaten that person. They can say, if you don't do this, we're going to release it. If you do do this, we'll get rid of it and it's gone from the internet. It's gone forever. If you're going to target someone, the world's richest... Is he the world's richest man? He is now. No, he is. Yeah, he is now. Who's who's got fairly unlimited resources is a fairly big target to go for. That's risky. Because he could take out something if he wanted there's all kind of, yeah, there is, but there's all kind of weird pseudo-political handshakes and stuff like that going on, which is why I wanted to go into a bit more detail. Um, so they said to him that um, investigation was personal by saying that the company, Amazon, is never politically motivated or influenced by political forces. What, yeah, because they got enough cash, their pockets are deep enough to basically buy their way out of anything. Why would they I'm not, I'm not, by the way... Uh, we're not saying we're not on their side. I, I, well, I think the ethics of... You shouldn't a you shouldn't be able to buy people off. No, nope. equally, yep. you shouldn't allow, be allowed to be threatened. So I, I'm kind of I don't know yeah, ha- yeah. hazy on the ethics here, but go on. Let me bring the big boy in then. Go on. Uh, what could political forces have to do with Jeff Bezos' love life? AMI, the parent company, is at the centre of an ongoing legal controversy involving President Donald Trump over the practice of catch and kill, where a publication buys the rights. Blah 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 blah. AMI was found to have used the catch-and-kill tactic to kill a story about Trump's alleged affair with a woman prior to his presidential campaign by paying uh, $150,000 um, for exclusivity on it. Do we, still, do we still really have to use the word alleged? <laughs> right. AMI CEO David Pecker, friend of Trump, was yeah. then allegedly... Then Dave re- Pecker? Yeah, That's I know. unfortunate. What a fantastic this. name for a dick pic yeah. article. <laughs> Um, but close friend of Trump's was, de- was allegedly then rewarded for catching and killing this content uh, to support supporting Trump during his campaign and then Trump invited him to a dinner whereby the royal family of Saudi Arabia were present where Pecker was pursuing business deals and looking for acquisition financing someone has stopped Donald Trump's mess getting out there and then profited and benefited off the back of that this is, I've gone fully in on this article today. I just want to give full credit to Nick Stat. that's at Nick Stat, Stat with two T's at the end, from The Verge. Fantastic article. So whose side are you on? Bezos. Yeah? I'm on Bezos' side for now. Because you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be able to extort someone. Not fundamentally. No, no. Even if they are incredibly rich. And even if they are really funny photos. Regardless, that shouldn't be used. In the article, they've got the seven threats from AMI to Bezos. And Bezos came out on his own blog and said, "Um, uh, these communications cement AMI's long-earned reputation for weaponising journalistic privileges, hiding behind important protections and ignoring the tenets of and purpose of true journalism. Of course, I don't want personal photos to be published, but I won't participate in their well-known practice of blackmail, political favours, political attacks and corruption. I'd prefer to stand up, roll this log over and see what crawls out. That kind of language is brilliant and I'm on Bezos' side for now. There you go. Strong yeah. message from Jack. Yeah. Start the week. Bezos, if you want some help on this, I, can, I will come over and I'll help you out. We'll take AMI down together. Man. Podcast famous Jack Pierce <laughs> at your service. Yeah. <laughs> Bezos, if you want to come on the show... Oh, yeah. Get in touch. He's definitely listening. Of course he is. He's only got a messy divorce and naked photos flying around. I'm sure he's got time for us. Yeah, why not? Anyway, mm. I think on that enlightening note, we should uh, probably say goodbye for now and yeah. uh, we'll chat again to the listeners on Thursday. See you Thursday. Thursday.